This morning we're going to be in Habakkuk 1. And the last time what we saw was, well, we finished up the Gospel of John, and it was very moving, it was very exciting. Uh, Hopefully that going through the Gospel, that we took some points that we can use to change our lives and mature us more and strengthen us as believers. And this morning we're going to be in Habakkuk 1, which is actually three books back from the New Testament. Some of you are saying, where's Habakkuk? (laughs) But Habakkuk was a prophet. And prophets back then had very special relationships with God. Remember, the Holy Spirit wasn't given like he was given in the New Dispensation. So Habakkuk had this relationship with God. And uh, God told him some things that were very difficult. Habakkuk struggled with some of his answers. He had a dilemma. He had a crisis of faith. But the truth is that, you know... We have issues like that too. And the message, or the title today's message is when God's truths are troubling. And sometimes God's truths are troubling to us. But take heart, you're in good company. Now there's a doctrine that teaches erroneously that once you become a Christian, everything becomes easy. Life just falls into place. God's, if you have enough faith, you'll always be healthy. You'll always be wealthy. No worries. Well, that's not reality. Because the problem is when the storms of life come, and you're indoctrinated in that, there's two things that you can think of. You can think, number one, I'm a failure, I'm destitute, I don't have enough faith, I might as well just quit. Because all these people are doing very well and I'm not. The other conclusion that you can come to, again, which is an erroneous conclusion, based on false doctrine, is that God forgot about you, or he doesn't love you, or maybe you're not even saved. So keep that in mind. This book is three chapters, and... This is really where Christianity gets real. I mean, I could have titled this Keeping It Real, and we'll, we'll go through that. Uh, because we do have problems. We do have low points. We do have points where we don't understand what God is doing. We really thought we prayed about this, and we should be going in this direction, and God's taking us in another direction. So we're going to jump in and check that out. So a little bit, and I always do this, an overview. I want to give you a little background before we go into the book. Uh, the theme is punishment for egregious sins committed by God's people. He called them to repent by this time so many times now that he had to use extreme measures because they weren't listening. And he used the dreaded Babylonians to punish them. Now on an individual level, how much or how hard does God have to knock on the door to our hearts to get our attention? My grandfather, when I was a boy and I was getting out of line, He used to go like this to me, and that meant you're going to get it. And he used to tell me, you're going to get a licking. How many of you have heard heard that expression? Really? (laughs) It must be from the old country. (laughs) But you know, our parents loved us enough to deal with us when we were out of line. And God has to do the same thing at times, except now he has to chastise a nation, which becomes very tricky. So the question is, this morning, are we going astray? Is God trying to get our attention? When did this happen? Right around 607 to 609 BC. This is prior, obviously, to the Babylonian invasion and destruction of Jerusalem and taking away God's people as captives. This was after King Josiah, but during King Jehoiakim. Actually, I named my my son Josiah because I I so fell in love with the character of of King Josiah in the Old Testament. He was a great king, great spiritual reforms. But his kids were no good, you know. It only took one generation for things to go bad. Jehoiakim was a a bad king. 
and under him evil could start to rise up in the nation again. Where? In the southern king of Judah. See, the Assyrians had already judged and already dealt with the ten northern tribes, the northern kingdom of Israel in 722 B.C. Who? Well, God, certainly, but more specifically, as we focus on the book, is the prophet Habakkuk. Now, his name means one who embraces or clings. This is a very befitting name because God's reasoning was difficult for Habakkuk to understand. And he had to come to the conclusion that he had to just cling to God. And hopefully we do the same thing through difficult times. Where are we through difficult times? Where are we when we don't understand what God is doing in our life? We really have to fall back on trusting in God because it really is a character builder. The hope in Habakkuk? Well, the word salvation appears multiple times in this book. And although this is a little bit of a depressing theme of punishment for sins, God always gives hope for his people. And we know that from this point, not long after this point, a few centuries was the hope in the salvation of Yeshua, the Messiah. So that was hope as well. Now a little bit on a historical note, the Babylonians. Well, Babylon is modern-day Iraq. As a matter of fact, there's several museums in Iraq. And that was the big concern when the Allies came in or the, you know, the coalition, uh, the Western coalition came in, that they were going to destroy some of these sites. But a lot of this stuff was preserved. So you can see the, uh, the history, the archaeology, reinforce the biblical account in these museums and these artifacts. As a matter of fact, even the wall of Babylon is still standing, part of that wall. That's how impressive and monstrous this structure was. Now let's just look at this. The last point I want to cover is the prophetic order. And there's four basic prophets. Okay, when we look at contemporaries of Habakkuk, we have Jeremiah, we have Habakkuk, we have Daniel, and we have Ezekiel. Now, I want to start with Jeremiah. Jeremiah, I really want you to thoroughly soak this in before we jump in. So now you, you have a good reference point here. If you look at Jeremiah, Jeremiah had a very long ministry, a lot of chapters in this book. He ministered through the reign of several kings, or a few kings, and he told the leaders, we're in sin. God's going to deal with us. And you know what? They abused him. They tried to kill him. They called him the weeping prophet. He had a very hard ministry. But you know, the false prophets came in and told the kings, everything's going to be fine. God, God's good with you guys. You're fine. And they got to eat at the king's courts. They got to rub elbows with all the clerisy and the elites of the time. They were taken really good care of. And you can see a parallel today, even in Christian ministries. Beware of a Christian ministry that's always going to tell you what you want to hear. Because it may not be what God is saying in your life. The one who loves you will tell you at times things that you don't want to hear. So we have Jeremiah. Sometimes we're called to be a Jeremiah. When everybody else is just you know, being phony, God is calling us to tell the truth to others. So then we have Habakkuk, who was also, again, a contemporary of Jeremiah. And then we have Daniel and Ezekiel, who more ministered towards the captivity, which was you know, not a, a very long distance from this point. So there's the background. Now we're going to jump in. In verse 1, the burden, or the oracle, or the prophecy which the prophet Habakkuk saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? 
even cry out to you violence, and you will not save. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention arises. Therefore the law is powerless and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, therefore perverse judgment proceeds. So Habakkuk's first problem wasn't with the Babylonians. We didn't get there yet. His first problems were, God, look around Judah. Look at your people. We are in sin. There is serious problems down here that you have to deal with. And it doesn't seem like you're doing anything about it. Now, we're going to see some parallels. I'm not a prophet. I'm not going to predict any events that are going to happen in the United States. But I will say this, that when a nation goes astray, regardless who it is, God is faithful to deal with them. So, as we go through this, we'll see some things that maybe are happening in our own country that need to be, to need to be dealt with. And we'll look at that. Verse 2, he says, violence and you won't save, you won't deliver. Well, you can look in the paper and you can look at your cable news and how many are familiar with the Kermit Gosnell trial, the abortion clinic? Not a whole lot because the media has kind of blacked that out. I prayed about what to say this morning when it came to that, and I'm not going to go into detail because it's horrific. And if once I say it, it can't be taken back. But if you have an empty stomach and you want to check this out, Kermit Gosnell, horrible things he did, not only to the babies, but also to the women involved. And nobody's talking about it. Ohio, those three kidnapped women for 10 years. I just read about a standoff with a, gu a gunman in Trenton a few days ago. Corrupt politicians, even worse, corruption in the church. I mean, I can go on all, all morning long, but it's even worse when it happens with so-called the Christian community. Read about another priest. Uh, the church paid out $650,000 to children who were molested by this man. And then when they found out, you think they called the cops? Of course they didn't. They actually helped him to change his name and sent him to another parish and didn't warn those people, and he did the same thing to them. That's disgusting. That's corruption in the church. You're going to see Pastor Joe unplugged this morning, okay? <laughs> because when I, stu <laughs> when I studied this stuff, I'm like, you know, I just was mad. <laughs> so I can understand where Habakkuk's coming from. We have a lot to gripe about as well. Habakkuk did, so do we. When we ask why, remember, God doesn't do everything in the timing that we would like. And we do that. We, you know what, Lord? I live in New Jersey. It's 2013. I need to pray about something. In a few minutes, I need an answer. You know, you've you, you got to keep up with my schedule, Lord. Microwaving my food. I'm doing my drive through banking. You know, be with me here, Lord. And quite frankly, that's not how God works. Two words, patience and punishment. And I'm just going to use my feeble attempt to explain how things kind of happen and from what I've seen in Scripture. Let's go with punishment first. There is a hell. Now, some are trying to sanitize that doctrine, but it exists. It's punishment. The lake of fire is eternal. It's painful. It, it doesn't stop. It doesn't, you know, there's no reprieve. So because of punishment, I believe that God is patient. Because the Bible is very clear in the scripture. It says he's willing that none should perish. It's not his desire, but he is a God of justice. He is a God of justice. And he doesn't play favorites like the, the judicial system kind of today does at times. So because of that punishment aspect and because he's a God of love, 
he's very patient. He wants all the bad guys to come to faith. All the, the, the dictators, all the murderers, all these bad people. He wants all of them to come to faith. So he's a very patient God. And that frustrates us at times. What did Habakkuk do? He did the right thing by taking his complaint directly to God. And we should be doing the same. We should less gossip and less complain and gripe and more take our complaints right to God. That's a good example there. Verse 3, he goes into more detail. In essence, God, I'm going to do a lot of paraphrasing here. Why do I have to see iniquity or sin, wickedness, and trouble or grievance, misery, which are the results of sin? The first thing we're looking, we're looking at is plundering and violence, he speaks about. Robbery, assault, he speaks about that. Now, if those of you who are interested, uh, 2C colon 15 in New Jersey penal law is theft plus assault equals robbery, if you're interested in that. Uh, but these are actions against others that are, are, being, are being dealt with. The second thing he looks at is strife and contention. These are more interpersonal. People aren't getting along. Now, I can take a, my other hat and put it on as a police officer, 22 years on the road, almost every day there's some type of domestic incident in every police department, in every municipality. This is the, 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 the boiling point underneath the veneer of, of how peaceful society is. Custody issues, lack of child support, restraining orders, domestic violence on a daily basis, the breakdown and the assault on the family, the stresses from outside to help to break apart the family. It's all satanic. But this is what's going on in society. Maybe Habakkuk moonlighted as a police officer. I don't know. But verse 4, he says, The law is powerless and justice doesn't go forth. The law is supposed to protect. Remember, justice is supposed to be blind. It's not supposed to see race or money or popularity or you know, celebrity status. That's what it's supposed to be. But he was saying, look at the parallels here. He's saying justice is not blind here. Look at today, the loopholes in the laws. You get a good enough attorney, you're, uh, you're, you have a high status. If you were to steal a certain amount of money and a politician did it, I guarantee you that the punishment would be far different. The fourth one, wicked surrounds and besieges the righteous. Therefore, perverse or wrong judgments proceed. So criminals don't obey the law. The clerisy or the elite don't obey the law. So who obeys the law? The law-abiding person. And his complaint was that, hey, if I'm an average guy and I do something wrong, the law is there to hammer me. But it's not for these people. They're looking the other way. The law, justice is not blind. It's playing favorite, favorites. And it's frustrating. I have to tell you, after looking in the paper for so long and seeing girls missing, you know, high school, college age. Ask my wife. I just would get so frustrated and disgusted. And years ago, she said to me, why don't you start a self-defense class for them? That was the impetus for what we do here. We've actually had over 120 young ladies go through the class and uh, learn techniques to be able to defend themselves. Because it, it's, it's frustrating looking and reading the paper and feeling powerless to do anything about it. Habakkuk felt powerless we read the paper. I tell some people, my mom yells at the television. Mom, stop watching that. You know what I'm saying? 
Your blood pressure will go down. It's frustrating. Verse 5. Look among the nations and watch, God says, and be utterly astounded, for I will work a work in your days which you would not believe, though it were told you. For indeed I am raising up the Chaldeans, or the Babylonians, a bitter and hasty nation which marches through the breadth of the earth to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity proceed from themselves. Their horses also are swifter than leopards and more fierce than evening wolves. Their chargers charge ahead. Their cavalry comes from afar. They fly as the eagle that hastens to eat. They all come for violence. Their faces are set like the east wind. They gather captives like sand. They scoff at kings and princes are scorned by them. They deride every stronghold for they heap up mounds of earth and seize it. Then his mind or his spirit changes and he transgresses. He commits offense, imputing this power to his God, small g. When I explain to you truthfully and, and honestly what this means, you're going to see that Habakkuk probably felt like he just got punched in the stomach, like his breath was taken away. So let's look at this. God is raising up the Chaldeans or the Babylonians. But who are these people? Well, let's look at their dossiers because God gives it to us. Verse 6, they are a bitty, bitter and hasty. They march through the earth like locusts in a garden, just eating and devouring everything that's before them, taking stuff that's not theirs. Verse 7, they're terrible and dreadful. They're not even nice about it. They're a law unto themselves. Their dignity, and it proceeds from themselves. I mean, they do what they want and nobody can stop them. Who are you going to appeal to? The Babylonian king, he'll laugh at you. His soldiers just do whatever they want. Verse 8 denotes the speed of the horse-mounted troops. Kind of reminds me of uh, the early days of the German blitzkrieg in World War II. I'm a big World War II buff. The way they went into France and Poland on the ground and in the air. The, they, these countries couldn't even muster a defense. They came, they came in so fast, so powerful that they just gave up. They couldn't, even, they couldn't even compete with them. And these Babylonians, man, when they were on their horses, they trained them for speed. And when you saw the dust, and could hear the galloping, and you saw the dust start rising, and they would come in your way, what do you do? You're helpless in front of these people. Verse 9, they come for violence. They come in like the east wind and gather captives like sands. Many people were uh, in, in bondage because of them, and they were cruel to their prisoners. No Geneva Convention. Verse 10, there was no regard for nobles, no preferential treatment, and walls were no match. They just built siege ramps and took the cities. If, you're under, if you understand siege warfare back in those days, since they didn't have airplanes to bomb your cities, if you had a wall, whether the Babylonians, uh, the Romans did this as well as at Masada, they would just be patient. They would take debris and pile it up. Anything they could you know, pile up in front of that wall, pile it up, pile it up, and eventually they would build this ramp. So by the time it was real high, it was right next to the wall, that they were on the same level as those that thought they were safe inside the city walls, and then they would attack, and they would get inside of your city. Nothing can stop these people. Verse 11, they just moved too quickly to another conquest, and they attribute their victories to their false gods. How insulting to Habakkuk. You can almost picture God saying, like he's done. Uh, Habakkuk, any response? 
You there, Habakkuk? Oh, Habakkuk is on the floor with a heart attack. No, somebody splashed water on his face. What do you say to this response? Let me just put this in perspective. As Americans, we can't really comprehend being overthrown. We can't comprehend being invaded. We're surrounded by two large bodies of water and, for the most part, friendly neighbors to the north and to the south. So this is something that we can't understand. But let me try to make a parallel. What if it came from the inside? After 9-11, we saw that, as Americans, we're vulnerable now. Uh, several attempts have been made. Law enforcement has thwarted them, but some of them have gotten through. And they all have the same ideology. What if this happened every week, there was a bomb going off? How would life change in our country? How frustrated would we feel? The ideology that we want to come in and we'll stop blowing you up if you forcibly or willingly convert, speak our language, follow Sharia law. Women need to be covered up. They can't go to school. They can't drive like they can't in Saudi Arabia and other countries. We will utterly dominate you. And when you're finally dominated, we'll stop which will be incorporated into us. To us, that's vile. Vile. How would we feel about God if something like that were to happen? Because that's the parallel. I'll tell you this. It doesn't matter how we feel about God. We weren't created. And this is hard this morning, especially we're free Americans. This may be hard to stomach if you've just walked into this church and have had real Bible teaching for the first time. Sometimes when we read the Scripture... There are things in here that are difficult to swallow because God's ways are higher than our ways. I have to be honest with you. I don't tell God what to do. I'm puny in his sight, and I'm certainly not qualified to give him advice. I'll tell you this, that whatever he decides to do, I'm okay with. It may be difficult, but then the question too is, what is it going to take to get our attention as a nation? What is it going to take to get our attention as individual believers? How far have we gone? What does he need to do to pull us back in? And then, as I have the, had the opportunity to have discussions with people, maybe even in clerical or clergy positions, that have committed some egregious sins and have been removed from ministry because of that egregiousness, once that happens, they wish that they had never committed that sin. And you know, by then, it's often too late. Can God restore a person? Absolutely. There's great examples of restoration, but that should not be our focus. Let's not get to that point. Let's surround ourselves with people who are honest with us and want to tell us the truth. And also, when we pray, that we honestly listen to God's answers, even if it's not the answer that we want as is in the case here. Again, difficult scripture for many. Verse 12. Habakkuk responds. He's not done. <laughs> Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, the Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have appointed them for judgment. O Rock, you have marked them for correction. You are of purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. Why do you look on those who deal treacherously and hold your tongue when the wicked devours one more righteous than he? Habakkuk has a second problem here, which seems to overshadow his first problem. 
Well, God, I wanted you to do something, but not that. We don't do that. Lord, I have a problem. Okay, here's the solution. No, 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 no. I was looking for a different resolution, Lord. Can I have what's behind door number two instead? We don't do that with the Lord? God, I don't like what you're doing. Please change your plan or allow me to change it for you. Lord, 97% of it looks really good. But let me just tweak that last 3%. I saw a bumper sticker that said, there is only one God. Stop applying for the position. I saw another one. I'll just say this one for Mother's Day. This one's great. It says, Eve was framed. <laughs> Has nothing to do with the message, but I just wanted to throw that in there. I believe Habakkuk loves the Lord with all his heart. And maybe unwittingly, he's subtly trying to manipulate the situation. He does not like this answer. And brothers and sisters, if you've been a Christian long enough, there are some answers that you and I don't like either. And I'm going to put myself in the same boat. I'm going to keep saying we and us because I've been there and I'll be there again. So this is what he, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. Lord, aren't you holy? Your eyes are pure. In other words, Lord, your plan is incompatible with your goodness. Lord, up to this point, everybody loves you. Don't ruin your reputation. Listen, Lord, we're bad, but these people are the scum of the earth. Surely you can't be using them to discipline us. Lord, how about reconsidering? He says, and surely you can't hold your tongue when the wicked devours one more righteous than, me, than he. Check out Habakkuk. Wasn't his first complaint that everybody that surrounds me is wicked? They're evil. They don't follow your law. You've got to do something. You've got to punish these people. And now he's saying, well, you know, we're more righteous than they are. Comparatively speaking, of course. And we do that, don't we? Isn't it so easy for us to look at somebody else and elevate ourselves? Sometimes people do this socially. Maybe they'll ha hang out with a certain group so they can shine the brightest over that group. Comparatively speaking, Lord, I'm not a murderer. Well, Jesus says that according to his word, if I thought it, I did it, and I might have murdered a few people by now because I thought it. We're murderers, we've lied, we've committed adultery in our hearts, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. Have you ever heard this prayer? Again, even in prayer, manipulative. And again, I might have prayed things similar to this. Oh Lord God Almighty, you are the greatest. You are so wondrous. And I have this request that I know is according to your will and your character. And I know you will answer this prayer. Lord, that job of six figures, I really need to get that job. Because, you know, if I get that job, you know that I will be more generous and I'll tithe more. And Lord, a raise for me is a raise for you. <laughs> How about asking the Lord? Believe me, I've gone and I've prayed in, in silence and in quiet. I'm like, Lord, this situation is a nightmare. I've used that word a few times. I need you to help me out with this. And help me to, I've even said this, prepare me for the answer. Because I know sometimes the answer is not fun. Verse 14. Last few verses for this morning. Why do you make men like the fish of the sea, like creeping things that have no ruler over them? 
They take up all of them with a hook. They catch them in their net and gather them in their dragnet. Therefore, they rejoice and are glad. Therefore, they sacrifice to their net and burn incense to their dragnet. Because by them, their share is sumptuous and their food plenteous. So they therefore empty their net and continue to slay nations without pity. Now, if this was a courtroom trial, Habakkuk is making his closing arguments. This guy could be a lawyer. He's pretty good. Are we like fish to be caught and killed with anyone to protect us? And he starts to make this parallel between fish and the children of Israel. You know, these Babylonians, whether it's fish or people that they catch, you know, they give credit to their false gods, like Bel and all those other false gods. And Lord, they don't give you the credit. And they'll continue to slay nations without pity. Is that fair? Now, it is Mother's Day. How many of you have heard your kids say, that's not fair, Mommy. That's not fair, Daddy. If you have more than one kid, for those of you who got like three or four kids, it's a bad day when they all gang up together on you. You can't get them to agree on anything, but if it's against Mom and Dad and their rules, that's not fair. Yeah, I agree with what he said and she said. He's basically saying, Lord, this isn't fair. These people are so nasty. They're so wicked. And when they win, they don't even give you credit. They give these false gods credit. God's not going to be manipulated. Today's message title is When God's Ways Are, or When God's Truths Are Troubling. We can also make the title When God Doesn't Seem to Make Sense. A book was written when God doesn't make sense, but it should have been changed. God always makes sense. When God doesn't seem. Why? Because of our human understanding. And that's the active adjective, our human understanding. Okay? If you've been a believer long enough, sometimes you're going to be in this boat. Sometimes you will meet his answers with frustration and anger. So, you know, I don't want to belittle that point. This morning, some of you may be going through a situation where you don't feel God is answering, or he's put something in your path that's an alternative that you just, it's unacceptable to you. So, so this is what we may be dealing with. Well, you're in good company because one of the great prophets whose exchange with God has been placed in Holy Scripture, inspired by the Holy Spirit. You're in good company. But the question is, what do we do when we're faced with this prospect, when things aren't going our way. I'll tell you this, that it really shapes our character when we can say what Habakkuk says in chapter 2. He waits on the Lord. He trusts in the Lord. It says something about a believer when it's not always what we want, what we want to get as believers. We want everything to go great for us. It's when we can go through those storms of life and still say God is good. Is God only good in the good times? Is God only good when we're getting the raise or when we're getting the things that we want? Or is God also good when we're going through trials? Okay, it's, it's definitely the latter as well. What connection can I make between Mother's Day and the first chapter of Habakkuk? I don't know, obey your parent? <laughs> I want to encourage you this morning to take another look at Habakkuk and know that if you have troubles and trials, you're not the only one. And know that you can also be encouraged and you can exercise that faith in trusting him. Now's the time. Trusting him through all the circumstances. Also, 
I want this book to take us past shallow Christianity and to deepen us. You know, when the, we have a lot of beautiful trees and shrubbery and plants on our property, and when it's dry in the summer, those roots have to go deeper. They need to find that water source. And as believers, when we go through trials, we can either just wither up and die in bitterness and anger and frustration, or we can let our roots sink deeper to find that living water that God provides for us. It's there. It's available to us as it is for the trees and the, and the shrubbery. I want us to come to a place where as we go through difficulties, we allow his word, whatever it is you're dealing with this morning, to mold us and to change us and to grow us and to mature us. Stay tuned for next Sunday. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for your word as always. We thank you for a no-nonsense look at a, another man, another person in the scripture who...